Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, we are uh, looking tonight at the very difficult uh, issue of giving and generosity. It's challenging because our culture is actually built on a, a very, uh, I guess, powerful set of beliefs. And they're these, my money is mine, and therefore they're private, they belong to me, and they're mine to spend. Just try, next time you meet someone for the first time, asking them, as one of your sort of opening questions, how much do you earn? And just see how well that goes down. Secondly, um, my life is made up of what I own. So the more I have, the happier I become. And thirdly, if I don't provide, no one else will. So it's hard to trust God and you fear not having enough. And those uh, beliefs in our culture are called materialism. And all of that means that when someone comes along and speaks about giving and generosity, we can be pretty sensitive, we can be touchy, we can even get a little bit angry when anyone challenges us uh, about what we do with our cash and our belongings. J. John says, some Christians squeeze money so tightly they make the queen cry. And that has been my experience from time to time. But you need to know that what materialism promises you is all lies. And more than lies, they're actually dangerous. Jesus says in Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's saying you can have everything in this life, but still be dead spiritually. And so listen, if we are to be a church that encounters God, we need to put God, not materialism, first in this area of our lives. And listen, if you're new, uh, perhaps you're visiting us for the first time, uh, it really is good that you're here. You can actually tell a lot about a church community in the way, or by the way, it talks about money and faith and finances. So I really hope that you get an insight into what we value here. And more than that... I want you to see if perhaps you're just on a journey of faith yourself that we don't believe in compartmentalized Christianity, which means you have Jesus as Lord of your life in some areas, but not others. So uh, Jesus isn't Lord of our lives just on a Sunday, but rather every single part of our lives are given over to him. That's how we live for him. And that includes our money. And so I really hope that you get to see that as I speak today. And I want to be honest with you, uh, for my wife and I, uh, her name's Philippa, uh, we've been on a journey now for many years trying to get this right in our lives. And it feels sometimes we do well, other times we mess up. But we're on a journey. And as we look over the last few years and see the journey God's taken us on, we sort of can see three stages, three movements, if you like, as God has worked in our hearts. And I want to tell you about those three things this evening. The first movement is moving from never giving to giving regularly. See, when I first came to the church, came back to God when I was age 21, I just didn't even register that I could give to the church. I just came along. It was a very personal experience, a powerful experience, but I didn't ever think about the tea that I had on the way in and the fact that someone else had paid for it. 
or I didn't even register the, the building that I was sat in. Someone many years ago had sacrificed hard in order to pay for it and someone right now was sacrificing in order to maintain it. I didn't even think that, you know, I just enjoyed the preaching from the pastor. I didn't even think that some people are really giving generously in order to release the pastor to have the time to prepare the messages that I was enjoying. So listen, I love freebies. Who doesn't love a good freebie? So I was there at church just enjoying all of it. Who wouldn't? Until I started to hear some biblical teaching, which actually made me very uncomfortable in that position. It made my free tea not taste quite so nice when I turned up because my thinking was being turned upside down. And that is my prayer for you tonight. So what did I learn? Well, number one, I learned that money is linked to spiritual growth. Jesus said in Luke 8, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. So what Jesus is saying there is giving is a way that frees us such that if you don't change your mindset, you can literally be choked by life's riches. The growth, the spiritual growth is choked and stopped in its tracks. And you can see why I found that pretty hard to hear. Uh, Randy Alcorn, who's a Christian author, puts it nicely. He says, I've never seen a mature Christian who is not also a giver. Giving is part of growing. And I completely and utterly believe in that. Giving is part of growing. With meaning, turn to the person next to you and say, giving is part of growing. Fantastic. Good job. Listen, it's as, uh, it's as true as this. Find someone who never gives or gives conditionally, and I will show you someone who isn't growing as they could. Yes, there are huge challenges. And I know as I sat initially in talks like this, as someone who didn't give, I excused myself with a thousand different excuses and thought the talk only related to the people sat on my left and right. I had no spare money. I was a student in debt. I wanted to start saving so I could make the jump into the housing market. And I hear all those excuses, all the things that are going off in your head right now, and I sympathize with them because I have felt the same. And I also understand that for some of us in the room, our situations and circumstances are very complicated. And it's not easy to find a way through. But listen, rich or poor, you cannot escape the Bible's relentless challenge to our priorities and excuses. Matthew, Mark and Luke, one in every six verses in those three Gospels deals with money. One in every six verses. Of the 29 parables that Jesus teaches, 16 of them, that's over 50%, deals with a person and his money. And that is simply uncomfortable. Giving is part of growing. That's the first thing I learned. The second thing I learned was that money reveals whether I joined a family or an organization. Matthew 6 verse 8 says, Our Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is inviting us into a family with a father who loves us and provides for his kids. Jesus came to build a family, not an organization. 
And so if you view church, if you view Mosaic Church through the lens of that it's just about a great Sunday service with fantastic worship, the most amazing preaching you've ever heard, then then you view church as an organization that is there to provide you a service and you consume it and you judge it whether it was any good and you go home feeling a little bit satisfied or a little bit dissatisfied but ultimately you're here just to consume that is not what Jesus intended the church to be organizations give you a service but families serve one another and that's what we're doing here we're building a family and when you realize this is a family where we serve each other you don't want to just be a taker you want to contribute and particularly, I want to speak to those of you that are studying at the moment. Listen, we understand that for many of you that are students, you're amassing debt while you're at university. Some of you have got part-time jobs, which is fantastic. But for most of you, you are looking at a 30 grand plus debt at the end of your three years. And we understand that it's very difficult to work out how do I give when all of my income is basically debt that I'm going to have to pay in the future. Well, even though I know some students that decide to use their sort of student loans, uh, they treat it like wages because that's how they spend it and they decide to give very generously out of it. But mostly what I do when I speak to students is I ask is, is any of your expenditure more than just your basic living costs? Like, do you ever spend outside of that? Perhaps it's a cinema ticket or uh, a drink at the pub or perhaps it's a takeaway, or whatever it might be. Do you ever spend your money in that way? And if you do, then actually that is your place where you can work out your giving because you can sacrifice something that's extra to your basic living in order to give generously. And so I would encourage you, if you're a student here today, to think about what it means for you to be a generous giver. For this is not meant to be three years where you just take because you've got debt in the future, but rather you sacrifice now in order that you can bless those around you. And so I want to encourage you that non-essential expenditure can actually be used to give to others. And so for some of you here today, the movement you need to make is from nothing to something. At the moment, compared to other gatherings, we actually have the same number of givers here but double the number of people compared to North and South. So we have 47 households that give regularly as part of Hyde Park Headling. That's roughly 50-60% of people give. So we've got roughly 40% of people here, that, and I don't know who you are, that, that don't give, that are using Mosaic like an organization that provides a service. And what's wonderful about that figure is the potential in the room is huge. Because I believe thoroughly that your giving is totally related to the way you will encounter God. And for those of you that start that journey, there is an adventure to be had with God regarding your finances. So how do you move from giving nothing to giving regularly? Well, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 is pretty clear. It says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. This is speaking of planned, regular, consistent giving. It's gone very quiet in here. Set aside an amount of money every month and give it away. So this isn't just random giving. 
This is planned, consistent giving. And listen, we don't take an offering here. One of the reasons we don't take an offering here is that we want to be true to these verses. We want it to be planned, consistent. And so most people here, everyone here, sets up a standing order with their bank. And what's great, we have people that give £10 a month, and we have people that uh, I've been told give over £500 a month. It doesn't really matter the amount that you give, that's between you and God. But I'm asking you to move from nothing to something regularly. You know, my journey, um, I can remember hearing teaching like this, and it was at this point in the sermon that I felt very, very guilty. And so when the offering plate went round, or when they did a special sort of offering, I would find a tenor, think of myself as being pretty generous at that point, and give out of my guilt. Now I want to be really clear. Um, if that is you right now, if you are feeling guilt, then we do not want your money because you feel guilty. Rather, this is what we would love you to do. We would love you to repent. Repent means to change your thinking. We would love you to change your thinking about the way you deal with your finances. And not give because someone has made you feel guilty, but rather give because you recognize money is a spiritual matter. And you will only grow as you give that area of your life to Jesus. And secondly, you recognize you're part of a family here. You're part of a family where you have a seat at the table. And what you give makes a difference. It doesn't get lost in the system because if you give, God will grow you. Practically many of us in the church have done the cap money course. We run it from time to time and it's a really practical way to look at your finances because it's really hard to give when you don't know where your finances are at. And so for some of you, you need to do a budget and you need someone to help you do the budget. Just let us know. Others of you, there's booklets all dotted around um, called Giving Financially. You just need to read the booklet and make up your decision from there. And this is what I want to ask you to do. If you fall into this camp where you're giving nothing and you want to move to giving something regularly, why not just try it for three months? So we're not asking you to give for the rest of your life. Why don't you try it for the next three months and see what God does? See it like a three-month challenge. And if you give regularly for three months, I would love you to see how God changes your heart. I'd love you to monitor the faith that grows in your heart. I would love you to see how God provides for you. And I'd love, how, I'd love you to see how much it builds you into this community. Where your money goes, so your heart goes. And I would love you to see if you just try that for three months. So that's the first movement. Nothing to something. There is a second phase. And that is moving from regular giving to tithing. I have been around the block long enough to know that as a preacher, if I mention the word tithing, it like sets off dynamite in people's minds because basically lots of different Christians think different things about tithing. So whatever I say at this point, I'm going to offend somebody. So I might as well just crack on and offend people. So listen. Tithing is giving the first 10% of our income out of gratitude to God. It's setting aside the first 10% of what we earn to thank God and to put him first. And listen, if you're visiting, if you're not a Christian yet, I did say 10%. And I know it just sounds mental. 10% of everything that comes in. 
all your income, you give away. 10%. And I, it's an unbelievable amount. But let me tell you why. In the Old Testament, I think I just sounded like Victor Meldrew for a minute there, didn't I? Unbelievable. Anyway, in the Old Testament, you first have Abraham. That's where we see tithing happening first. Abraham gives 10% of his plunder from a battle to honor God. Then you have his grandson, Jacob, who tithes all that he has after a powerful encounter with God. Then you find Moses, who God uses to make tithing a part of the law. And so what was the law that the Israelites lived under? Well, it actually was three tithes. They would give 10% to the priests. They would give 10% to feasts and festivals. And every three years, they would give 10% to the poor. So that's actually 23%, non-optional, commanded, law-based giving from their income, 23%. And then you have the prophet Malachi calling the people of God back to tithing when they forget God's command. In these famous verses, Malachi says this, Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be, uh, will not be room enough to store it. God wanted his people to tithe and his promises to provide, bless, lavishly honor their obedient giving. So that's a little summary of the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, I know that we right now have got people in the back of their minds that are saying, hold on. The Jewish nation were under the law, but we as Christians, we're not under the law. Romans 6 verse 14 tells us that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Romans 14 tells us we're under grace. Wonderful. We're free from the law. You don't have to tithe. They had to, but we're free. Woohoo! The question is, why do you not want to tithe? Well, it's great to celebrate the grace of God, but the heart question is, why do you not want to tithe? You see, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Verse 21, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Verse 27, you've heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You start to understand what grace is all about. Jesus says not a dot of the law will pass away until the law has achieved its intent. What was, it, what was its intent? What was the whole point of the law? Well, the whole point of the law was to transform people's hearts, but it failed to transform people's hearts. It could never do it. And so grace came. The free gift of God came in order to do what the law could never do. 
So it's no longer okay not to murder, but now it's about not hating anyone in your heart because it's about the grace and mercy of God changing your heart so that you truly love others. It's no longer just okay to not sleep with someone outside of marriage, but it's about not looking at someone lustfully. Grace comes to change the heart from the inside so we don't just obey outward rules, but rather from the heart, from the inside, we live out a godly life. That's the work of the Spirit in us. And that is the same for giving. If the Jews gave between 10 and 23% because they had to, how much more under the grace of God should our hearts want to give if we're truly filled with the Holy Spirit? How much more could we give if we're like the generous God that we worship? 10% is just the start. If they gave out of hard hearts, what could God do with a heart that was fully given over to him, that he'd experienced the grace of God? So listen, do we have to tithe? No. But yes. The question is, why don't you want to? You don't have to, but why don't you want to? I've met many Christians who are anti-tithe, totally into grace giving, but when you ask them what they give, it proportionally adds up to very little. Something has gone wrong. Personally, I think tithing is a bit like a child's stabilizers that you'd get on their bike. You know, when they're riding a bike and you put stabilizers on, or uh, if you've ever been temping bowling, you know, you can get the rails up to stop it going into the gutter. Some of you are like, yeah, I still do that. Yeah, you can get those rails up. And the whole point is that they help you to begin with. And so the tithe, I think, is meant to be a guide, not a rule. They're there to get us started. It's there to push us to rely on God in a way that we weren't before, to trust him in a way that we weren't before. And actually, it's a bit weird. If you saw me riding into town with my stabilizers still on, you're like, what's with this guy? You know, why hasn't he learnt? And so the tithe is actually so helpful to us to begin with. Do you have to? No. But yes, it's so helpful. And I tell you, learning this was revolutionary for me and my wife. You know, we give him the first 10% of all that we earn before tax. That's our starting point, and it speaks of our gratitude and our trust. And practically, we try and live off the 80-10-10 principle. So we live off 80% of what we have, we give 10%, and we save 10%. doesn't always work out exactly like that, but that is what we are trying to do. And I know it's hard. And so similar for you, just like the people who are going to move from nothing to regular giving, if you're giving regularly now, I want you to really consider doing the three-month challenge of tithing 10%. And as you move into that place of tithing 10%, just for three months, I want you to watch. I want you to watch what God does with your heart. And thirdly, there is one last movement, I'm afraid. And that is moving from tithing to extravagant giving. It's somewhat understandable for those of you that are tithing 10% and those of you that do. I mean, it's just amazing that you do. But it'd be easy for us just to say, well, I've done my bit. I've been obedient. But there is a third lesson that I'm learning and it's becoming an extravagant giver. Something Pip and I have decided to do is not only we start our marriage tithing, but we said, why don't we increase for every year that we're married, the percentage that we give away. Why do we do that? Well, ultimately, we really do want to grow to become more Christ-like. 
2 Corinthians 8 is a really challenging passage where the Apostle Paul is encouraging a local church to give generously. He's comparing their giving to the Macedonian church that gave out of great poverty. And this local church, they themselves have hardly anything to give. And he says to them in 2 Corinthians, he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also you excelling this grace of giving. And I can imagine the church saying, right, that's great, Paul, in principle, but how on earth are we going to do it? What gives us the power to be those people? And he says it in verse 9, a killer verse. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. So what he's saying is this, Jesus had honor and status in heaven, but he rejected it to save you. He had values and he had riches, but he was born in poverty. He had the Father's complete approval, but he, as he bears the sins of the world and the guilt and shame of you and I, he is rejected for our sakes. He is the ultimate extravagant giver. He gave everything away in order for others to benefit. And by the Spirit, Paul says, you can have that generous spirit in you. And you can benefit from Christ's sacrifice. He was an extravagant giver. It's interesting, every two years or so, we do something called a special offering. And this has provided a perfect opportunity for us to grow in extravagant giving. So sometimes as a family, um, in order to push ourselves in this whole area of trusting God, we've not had like a summer holiday together. Or we've changed our grocery shopping budget, so we just shop a lot more sensibly and cheaper. We've even moved every now and then to adding a vegetarian meal into the course of things to save money, not on meat. Yes, that is the level of sacrifice we've moved to in our household. We've prayed for money to give when we haven't got anything to give. We've raided our savings. We've sold stuff on eBay. And the point is this. You can have all these great ideals in theory, but until you put it into practice, it doesn't really count for much. You know, God, I'll give you everything, but until you do, then this stuff doesn't actually transform the heart. I spoke a few weeks ago about every time we get time with God, open our Bibles, pray, it's like we move under this beautiful waterfall of the grace and mercy and love of God. And every time we do something like that, spiritual discipline, we get under the waterfall and it's the waterfall that changes us. Well, what happens in giving is that for every pound you give, you step under the waterfall. And as you step under the waterfall, the grace of God starts to change your heart. I change, I grow, I become more like him. And so listen, when we announced to you that we're doing a special offering in a couple of months' time, the mature response in our hearts is, I cannot wait because there's a waterfall of God's grace and mercy waiting for me to step under as I step out in generosity with a special offering. And I know, I get it, like most of us groan inwardly when we talk about a special offering, but the mature response is the opposite of that. So guys, we're going to be doing a special offering in two months' time. <laughs> we're trying to raise £65,000. £65,000 uh, on the 15th and the 22nd of March, just after Love Nations. And so you know where the giving is going to. We've got four new areas investment uh, that we feel that God's blessing. And they all have a, a missional focus. Number one is that we'd love to invest in Holbeck. And that's an area of Leeds, uh, in South Leeds, that is quite a needy, poor area of the city. We've got two mission groups at work there.
but they are doing an incredible job reaching their community. Just this Sunday, today, they actually didn't gather in the morning, but they've gathered in the afternoon in order to do the first of a few services, outreaches uh, during the course of the year uh, to draw the community in. Uh, what's incredible is just these two mission groups, they had a Christmas carol service and they saw 125 people come to it from their community. God is on the move. They're seeing people saved and added into their family. God's blessing it. We just feel like it's got so much life that we would love to invest in that. We want to help them as they do outreach and impact that community. I'd love for us to support them. Secondly, we would also like to invest in a youth worker. We have an emerging youth mission group in the North Gathering um, and we would love to employ a part-time youth worker who will not only invest in the kids on a Sunday, run a, a youth group during the week but also hopefully grow a team and then uh, hopefully serve the other gatherings and help them as youth develops. I'm so excited as a parent. I'm obviously very excited about the younger generation coming through and going further than we ever did. And so we'd love to get the investment right now so we get, get some great foundations for them as our young people grow up in the church. And it's a part-time role that we hope to be advertising really soon. Thirdly, and excitingly, here at High Park Headley, uh, we really think that at some point, probably in about 18 months' time, we're going to launch a morning service. Um, what's great is that I think uh, you just look around you, we're doing a great job reaching students and young professionals. But if anyone a little bit older than you comes in, then I tell you, we feel really old, really old. And obviously, there's nowhere if you've got kids to take them. And so if we're going to reach a more diverse crowd in this area, if we're going to see especially families coming to know Jesus, then we must move to a morning service at some point. And doing that, starting our fourth gathering, that means venue, that means equipment, it means staffing. It's a huge investment. It's not cheap. And so we really want to plough um, some cash into that. And then lastly, um, uh, and sorry, and just to say that, we've got lots of questions still. We don't know who's going to lead it, where it's going to be. Um, we just feel like God's speaking to us about it. It seems an obvious next move. And so we want to be prudent and plan for it now. And lastly, we want to keep on investing in people, ministry, evangelism, church planting. We're doubling our outreach budget this year. We're planting Larry and Leah Seaman uh, into Zambia in the summer. Uh, they're a family of five uh, in the north that feel called to go and join Martin and Carolyn Simbaye. And they're going to uh, church plant there and work in the school that Martin and Carolyn have built. And we would love to invest in them and see God do something wonderful in Zambia. And so we would love you to give generously to these fantastic things. So guys, there's so much more I could say. I'm out of time. There's three movements that we're asking you to really, really consider tonight. The first movement is from never giving to giving regularly. This is not an organization. This is a family where we serve one another. Secondly, moving from regular giving to tithing. Why not try it for three months and see what God does in your heart? And moving from tithing to extravagant giving. There is an adventure of faith waiting for us as we trust God with all that we have. And my prayer is that's the sort of family that we would be.